Have you ever found yourself wondering um, what's the right thing to do in fill-in-the-blank situations? Um, there, I feel like there have been times in my life when I have been paralyzed with trying to figure out the answer to that question. You know, what am I supposed to do? Uh, what am I supposed to do in my career? What am I supposed to do to get out of debt? What am I supposed to do in this uh, relationship? What am I supposed to do in this uh, conflict? What am I supposed to do um, in this confusion? What am I supposed to do um, uh, to, to succeed in my career? What am I supposed to do? And I feel like life has got thousands of, uh, of questions just like that. And I know you have them because I have them too. Um, and so what do you do when you're in a situation where you're simply asking yourself the question, what's the right thing to do? Now, what, what I like to do is I like to evaluate the situation. And again, this is a broad example. Um, I weigh the pros and cons. Do any of you weigh pros and cons when you're evaluating pros and cons? Um, of course, we're all supposed to pray for Christians. You know, that should be the first answer. Pray about it. Jesus Christ is the only, is the only answer. Um, Seek wise counsel. Go to other people who are older than you, wiser than you. What do I do in this situation? Um, or maybe you just kind of look for the examples of other people. What did, what, how did you navigate this terrain? How did you figure out this situation? Um, one of the things uh, that I really like to do is I like to seek, I like to seek wise counsel in the sense that Sometimes seeking wise counsel can almost be a cheap way out because you can go to somebody who's, who's smarter than you and you can say, I'm confused, tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, or I don't, I don't know how to handle this. Or, uh, or maybe it's more of a venting session of like, I'm really frustrated, so why don't you tell me how I'm right and then you know, what I should do in this situation to, to move forward. Um, <clears throat> I think that... Uh, as we ask ourselves the question, what's the right thing to do, whether it's a big issue in life or a small issue in life, um, as we evaluate, as we pray, as we seek wise counsel, as we see the examples of others, hopefully the question will kind of evolve from what's the right thing to do to what's the wise thing to do. Because um, uh, sometimes, you know, the right thing to do, our motivations might be, well, what helps me get out of the situation the quickest? Or what's the situation to uh, justify myself and make sure that my name and my reputation is saved uh, the quickest or, or, or yada, yada, yada. And so you kind of go through these things. But I have this distinct memory. Um, the first inter- internship that I did when I was quite young um, in a church, um, I, I sat in the staff meeting of all these, these pastors, and I was uh, a young guy, and... Um, there was this man sitting at this uh, board table. His name was Dr. Grabeel. Can you envision Dr. Grabeel? That's, that's what he looked like. He sounds very, right? sounds very firm. And... Yeah. And so, and he was a big guy. And any guy that I think starts off with doctor, you know, is kind of... <laughs> uh, but Dr. Grabeel was a pretty quiet guy. Um, and the youth pastor that I was interning under, I was sitting next to this youth pastor, and after the staff meeting, he, he, he made a comment to me, and he said, you know, Dr. Grabeel, because the particular staff meeting that we had set into had some issues and some conflict, which is, happens whenever you get people together, <laughs> you know, around the table, and he said, the, he said, the great thing about Dr. Grabeel is he sits back, and he's real quiet, and everyone's kind of going back and forth around the table. He says, but when he does speak... Everyone just kind of listens. And then they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you know that kind of a person? Um, and this was years ago, but that really struck me. And, and this might be selfish, um, but something hit me that day that I thought, I, I kind of want to be like that. You know, and I don't know if I am or not. I don't think I am because I like to talk a lot. Um, but I want to be that guy. Like, it's, it's admirable, I think, to be that guy or to want to be that guy who, who just has wisdom and that other people can go to um, and seek wise counsel from. Um, 
And it's a good thing to want to be wise. It's a good thing to want to be able to handle life and its situations well. Uh, the Apostle Paul addresses wisdom a great deal in the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, and what I want to do for the next two weeks is we're going to do a little mini-series uh, camping out in the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, now, the Bible addresses wisdom extensively uh, from Genesis to Revelation, but what I want us to do is I want us to look at the book of 1 Corinthians as kind of a case study of wisdom. Because what's happening in the book of 1 Corinthians is Paul, who is the Apostle Paul, is addressing a group of Christians in a church uh, that are dealing with the issues of life. A lot of different issues. The book of 1 Corinthians is, is, is somewhat lengthy in comparison to other New, New Testament books. And it, it, is, it, is, it is not only practical, but the theme of wisdom is just, just heavy as he goes throughout it. And he's addressing real people who are dealing with real issues who have actually accepted Christ, and they're dealing with these things and these divisions and these questions and these, and these sins that are going on within the body. And so he gives us a definition of wisdom, but then he also shows us many of its applications in just the realness of life. So that's what we're going to do. All right, For the, just the next two weeks, it's going to be a short series, but we're going to ask ourselves a question, uh, what is wisdom and what does it look like as we see it in 1 Corinthians? So, that's kind of an outline of what we're doing um, and what we're going to do this morning. So, if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, start at the very beginning. Paul begins this book uh, in a very traditional fashion. All right, we see verses 1 and 2. He has his introduction, as he normally does. He moves into uh, the Thanksgiving section. You can see it's, in, it's titled in almost every, every uh, English print Bible. He gives thanks for the gospel, but he also gives thanks for those that are in the church and the fact that they have um, accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 10, he really dives into the meat of what's going on and the problems that are, are arising in this church. So I'm going to start reading in uh, verse 10. If you would follow along with me, it says this, I appeal to you, brothers... All right, so he's speaking to those that have accepted Christ, not a, not a broad, wide audience of whoever will listen, but Christians. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers." So I want us to look at a couple things in verse 10 here. I'm not going to write on the board a lot, but I will a little. I want us to look at this. He says in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. Let me get the pen that works here. agree. He continues in verse 10, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Same mind. And the same judgment. So that you all agree and that you're united in the same mind, in the same judgment. Now, what Paul is doing here is he's calling the body in 1 Corinthians uh, to be unified in their understanding and the application of their understanding. Um, and what I want us to draw our attention to is how uh, stinking difficult this is. Okay? Now this sounds nice and pretty and kind of flowing. Yeah, why can't we all just get along? But let's think about this in the context of a, of a difficult situation. It's, it's tough for a group of people to agree on stuff. How many of you have ever been to a theme park 
and you've walked around in a group and you can't go to a stinking roller coaster because no one can agree. Anybody been in that situation before? All right, we're finding a restaurant. And those are the stupid things in life, <laughs> much less the, the valuable things that you build your life upon that help make, make the decisions as you navigate life. All right? Um, and so, I mean, I gave you the example of sitting in my internship and we're around a, group, a table with a group of pastors, and even a group of pastors can disagree about some things. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, I want you to agree on something concrete, something specific. All right. And not only agree, but I want you to have the same mind. And what he's saying here is I want you to have the same level of understanding about this thing right here. So not that you just agree that this thing is there, but that you have a full comprehensive understanding of it and you have the same judgment of it. And the judgment of it here, that same judgment, is the application of the understanding of this thing. Alright? So you not only agree, but you have a full understanding of what it is you agree upon and then you also have the same mind of, 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 of the judgment of that or the applica- of what that looks like as you apply it for the course of life. I think a good example of how difficult this is, um, and Lauren and I have been having great conversations, and I hope you've been having great conversations um, amongst current events that are happening in our, our city and our state and in our nation. Okay, so Lauren and I are having a conversation, and we're talking about the issue of, of racism. Okay, so if we applied that issue here, okay, well, well hopefully we would all agree that there's a, a race problem in the world, in the nation, in our state, however you want to define that. All right? So let's say that we all at least agree on that. Some, some people might say it's this, some people might say it's this. Okay, so there's a race problem. Well, what we don't agree on is uh, our full understanding of that. Does that make sense? You see the connection there? Some people might say, well, uh, we have a race problem because of this, and here's my full understanding and comprehension of it. And some people might say, well... I disagree with that. I think we have a race problem because of this or this or this. And, it, and then, some, and then the, the, the third piece is even more difficult. Is what, what, what are we supposed to do about it? What's the answer to these things? Well, some people say the answer is uh, taking the flag down. Well, some people say, well, we just need to get along. That's the real thing. Or some people say... Uh, somebody needs to apologize. Well, no, actually, what you know, if we all agree here, what this looks like is, is this. So this is, this is not only incredibly hard, but what the Apostle Paul, the, the hope and the joy here is the Apostle Paul is saying uh, that this is doable. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind or same understanding and the same judgment or the same application of these things. Let's continue reading. Verse 18, chapter 1. It says, For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved... It is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Really saying, where is the most educated one? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom... It pleased God through the folly of what we have preached to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What the Apostle Paul is saying is 
is he's making a connection between wisdom is Jesus Christ. That wisdom is Jesus Christ. And that the understanding that we need to not only agree in Jesus Christ, but we need to have a full understanding of what that means and have a full uh, agreement and unity on what the application of that is. And when we have those things, we have wisdom. Continue looking in verse uh, 26. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful, but many, uh, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the, to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even though, even, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Jesus Christ. Let's note that. Verse 30, He is the source of your life in Jesus Christ, whom God made our wisdom. Whom God made our wisdom. So what is wisdom? Wisdom is Jesus Christ that we can agree upon. In verse 29, it says that no human being might boast in the presence of our Lord that He is the source of your life in Christ, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification and our redemption. The Apostle Paul is really bringing some meat to the bones here, that it's not just the fact that we all agree that there was a person named Jesus Christ that was a really big deal, but that we understand the comprehensive nature of what Jesus Christ did and the work on the cross and how that affects us. We need to have a comprehensive understanding, not just in Jesus Christ, but when we say Jesus Christ, the work of the cross and salvation. It says that He, Jesus Christ, whom God has made our wisdom and our righteousness, that we have become righteous. And what does that mean doctrinally? And our sanctification. There's a lot there in a few words here. And our redemption. So that we have the same mind and understanding in Jesus Christ and in the mind of Jesus Christ. Um, this is the beginning of 1 Corinthians. I want to flip to the end of, of, of 1 Corinthians because the, this idea that we're talking about here is kind of bookmarked at the beginning and at the end. So chapter 15. Jump back to chapter 15 in verse 46. Uh, 42, excuse me. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. All right, he's just finished up talking about the resurrection of the body. He says, what is sown or what is planted is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable because of the gospel. Verse 43, it is sown with dishonor and it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last man, and the last Adam, became a life-giving spirit. Verse 46, but it is not, but it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. What Paul is saying here is that we, we have to be rooted in, 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 in the reality of our situation and that we are physical beings um, with a spiritual uh, component to us and that we live in a physical world, that we have flesh and blood and that we have actual relationships and we have actual emotions and that we're dealing with people who are Christians and who are not Christians, and that there's, that there's a reality here of the natural world. And we have to have an understanding of that if we're going to go further and have a spiritual understanding of that. I mean, it would be foolishness to say that all that we are is the spiritual. 
and that every answer in life is simply just rooted in spiritual answers. But even when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he said, everybody has to be born of flesh first before you can then be, what? Born again in the spirit. That's That's the natural order of things. So it makes sense that if you have an understanding of the natural and the natural world, all right, how natural relationships work, how, 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 how the natural world functions, but then you add to it this thing that we all agree on and have the same mind and the same judgment, you add to it the spiritual side of things, and what you equal then is wisdom. So this is the application. This is the judgment part of it here. So once again, in verse 46, it is not the spiritual that is first, but it is, the na- it is the natural, and then the spiritual. So we see that wisdom has an understanding of the natural things first, but it doesn't end there. Um, if you bump down to verse 56 in chapter 15, um, I'm sorry, let's look at verse 50. Paul says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. All right, so the natural world cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. But behold, he says, that I tell you a mystery. He's saying, I am telling you something that does not make sense to the natural world. I'm telling you something that only, in essence, applies to Christ followers. That this mystery here that we're talking about, this wisdom that is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, rooted in the full understanding of it, and actually has application, is a mystery to those people that are not Christ followers. And he goes on to uh, give great encouragement in this mystery that has been revealed. He says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on the immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortal, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And then, in verse 56, I believe that the Apostle Paul here outlines a further continuing of what it means to have a full understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says that the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I mean, let's think about some of these pieces that we see here in verse, in verse 56. Understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, let's say we all know that we need Jesus Christ. Well, understanding, having the same mind, means that we need to have an understanding of sin, Right? Can we be saved without understanding our sin? No. We have to have an understanding that there's been a broken relationship between us and God if, in fact, we are then to be saved. The sting of, of death is sin. We need to have an understanding. And I tell you what, if you're going to seek wise counsel from anybody and they don't have an understanding of sin and the sin nature in the world and in you and in them, they're probably going to give you poor counsel. Don't you agree with that? that we need to have an understanding of the nature of man. And because there's a root problem in us, you know? It's like we're in a boat, and there's a hole in the boat, and the boat is filling with water. If we don't understand that, then we don't need to know how to uh, swap the deck, right? (laughs) If we don't understand that, then we don't need to know how to fix the engine. You know, we need to see that there's a fundamental problem here that affects all of us. If there's going to be any wisdom that is imparted to the natural world. It's a spiritual understanding of sin. And the power of sin is the law. So not only that we've all done wrong, but that the law says that God is the lawgiver. And He is the one who has written the moral law. We need to have an understanding of that. Verse 57, But thanks be to God, 
We need to have understanding that there is, in fact, a God out there and that it matters and that He has spoken. We need to understand that. Now, it's simple, but if you're seeking counsel, if you're looking for wisdom from somebody who does not believe in God, um, then their counsel will simply be in the natural world. It goes on to say, He who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So not only is there a sin problem, not only has God written the moral law, not only is there a God, but there is salvation to be had through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's pretty important too, right? It goes on in verse 58. It says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. This is perseverance. This is sanctification. We need to have an understanding of sanctification in order to be wise. And then finally it says, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is hope. Do you want to seek counsel from a hopeless person? No. Um, And you know, in the middle of this, uh, the, the Supreme Court ruling, um, you know, making gay marriage uh, legal nationwide. Michael hadn't asked me if I've been reading a lot about it, and I've been trying to read a lot about it. And Lauren and I were out of town seeing some family this weekend, and I feel like I read a bunch of half articles. <laughs> um, but there's some godly men out there who are saying, if you saw Russell Moore, I mean, that's kind of my guy right now. You know, I'm in this Russell Moore phase. He just He's feeding truth and hope and the gospel to me. And he said, you know what? It doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says. The Supreme Court can't put Jesus Christ back in the tomb. And he said, therefore, we have great hope. And I have some family members, you might too, who like to um, stockpile ammo. (laughs) That kind of person, you know what I mean? (laughs) Who, you know, they post pictures of what looks like the Constitution burning, you know, and they're like, you know, we're, you know, this nation, you know, there's no hope there. (laughs) There's no hope there. But the fact is, is that Jesus Christ is alive. And that is where our hope is. So it's not just knowing that Jesus Christ is a big deal and that we need him for our salvation. But growing in our understanding of that, doctrinally, which is what this is, sin, law, God, gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, process of sanctification, and then our eternal hope. I mean, these are all building up the power of what this is. You know... um, Barack Obama, as the president of the United States, is a very powerful man. We would all agree with that. Um, and if, 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 if Barack Obama, as the president of the United States, um, said something to, uh, say, Iran, you know, that's developing the nuclear program, wants to wipe Israel off the map, harbors terrorists, all the crazy things that are going on in Iran, you know, it wouldn't be just the man, Barack Obama, saying, you need to watch yourself. It's not just him. But understanding that when he says that, it's the power and force of the United States and all of its assets. So it's a bigger deal. And sometimes it's the same way, I believe, that we as Christians can agree but we don't always have a full understanding that, of the magnitude of Jesus Christ and what that means and how it applies to every facet of the natural world. So wisdom, again, is understanding Jesus Christ comprehensively, not just that there's a man, Jesus Christ, but understanding the gospel and how it applies And then, applying it. Because wisdom unapplied is not wisdom. 
Wisdom unapplied is, is not wisdom. Faith unapplied is not faith. It's information. It's <clears throat> has no legs. Faith without works is it's dead. So wisdom understood through the personal work of Jesus Christ applied to the natural world as we see in chapter 15 is what the Apostle Paul is using to define what wisdom is. Um, Go back to the beginning of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2 now. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So again, I'm looking at what the Apostle Paul is saying here, and I'm defining wisdom as the knowledge of Jesus Christ understood and applied as wisdom. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 6 says this. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. All right, so it's a different type of wisdom. Verse 7, but we, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Or, in our terminology that we're talking about this morning, they would not have crucified wisdom himself. Verse 9, But, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things that God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So interpreting wisdom to those who can hear wisdom. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. What these verses tell us is that this wisdom that we're speaking about here is exclusive wisdom, which is not a popular concept in pop culture. But it's what this text is very clearly saying. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Verse 14, the natural person, okay? So the person who might be wise... In the natural world, educated, full of experience, not stupid, but having a full grasp only of the natural, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, they are foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Um, I mean, think about this for a second. The, um, the shooting that happened. Um, it has baffled the world at some level that, I think it was 24 hours later, forgiveness was spoken by the family. And, you know, a day or two after that, I read an article about the Boston Marathon bomber who I believe received his sentence, and the victims were able to speak to him as well. And they were seething um, across the board. 
statements like, it's impossible for you to have a soul, you know? May you burn kind of thing, you know? One person was like, I hope you don't get the death penalty so that you can live with this, you know, so it will be worse. And I think the world understands that, you know? Um, Because they were legitimately wronged, you know? They were hurt physically and emotionally. They were wounded. Their loved ones were taken from them or maimed. Um, And so the logical response is, is anger. I mean... Anytime you've been wronged, I mean, that's a, that's a grave example. But what about, the jerk that doesn't like you at work, kind of thing, you know? Nothing that could get anybody fired, but like, backstabbing, or giving you a scowl, or they said something degrading to you for whatever reason. Um, and it's like, I've been wronged, you know? My reputation is at stake here. Um, they're saying things about me behind my back. And like, it, like the natural world says, you know, you should be wrong. Or if you're looked over for a promotion and your, and your coworkers acknowledge that and you're like, yeah, you got, you got screwed in that situation. You should have gotten that. And they agree with you. Maybe they're angry with you. Those are all, that's the natural world. And it doesn't make sense to be able to say, God says vengeance is mine. And so I'm not ignoring the situation. I'm not saying that I'm not hurt by the situation. But because of of another element involved in this natural world, which is the spiritual element, I'm going to apply wisdom that says forgiveness can be given by me, even if it isn't received by him, and God can deal with it, and I can have peace. I know somebody who uh, very recently um, sat in a courtroom um, for a guy who was being tried for murder, and um, a teenager who killed another teenager in the low country. You remember that story a couple months ago. And, um, you know, there was a family member who commented, or who, who was given the right to make a statement to the accused. And um, the observations in the courtroom were just the intense level of, of bitterness. And the crazy thing is, is like, but you killed somebody. You know? And so there was kind of this, well, who can blame him? And I understand that. And the judge said, and I don't know if the I don't know who the judge was. This is a secondhand story, but somebody that I know was there. And I don't know if the judge is a believer, but the judge actually said to this family member, There's gonna come a point in time when you're gonna have to deal with this bitterness or it will ruin your life. How do you handle that without the gospel? Or, I mean, let's move, let's move to something lighter. Sorry. Um, what about your money? You know, like, what sense is it in the world to tithe? I mean, if you're only making, I don't know, 30 grand, um, and you're going to give 10% um, or more, I mean, you you got to take care of yourself. You got to save. You know, you got to you know you need to attack your your debt. And I mean, that's not a lot of money to live on. Or maybe you make fifty and you got a lot of student loans. You know, and Mount Pleasant's a tough place to live in. You know, what sense does it? What sense is it in the world to say I'm going to handle my money and 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 give the first ten percent away? What? I mean, maybe later. You know, maybe when you're making sixty or seventy plus. Then that's 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 charitable time right then, 
you know? You know, what about sex and relationships and purity, you know? You're your own person, you know? What is a, what is a, a, a state-issued piece of, par- a piece of paper that says marriage license really have anything to do with your love for your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you know? Um, it's just the physical... Everyone's everyone's there, um, you know. I had a conversation this weekend with a guy, and I asked how his daughter was doing. She's in her twenties, and he said, "Well, you know, she's doing all right. She's living with a guy, um, and she and she knows that I disagree." But she's like, "Dad, I know you disagree, but I mean, he's a good guy, you know. And we're faithful to each other, you know. We really love each other." And, uh, you know, I'm going to tell you, as, as a pastor, that to me makes sense if you're just talking about the natural world. It makes total sense. Total. I mean, uh, like 100%. And I, 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 honestly, if we're just talking about the natural world, I think that the Supreme Court justice makes sense, too. You know? Love. What's, what's greater than love, you know? And what's, what's greater than equality? But if it's just the natural world that we're talking about, it's a, it's a different wisdom. It says that the wisdom of this world is foolishness. And not only is it foolishness, it is a stumbling block to the gospel. And you probably see that, don't you? That, that we are about something different in this life as Christians. That we are about an addition to the wisdom of the natural world. And that addition is this. The addition to the wisdom of the natural world offers a complete wisdom which can only be found through the Gospel. Common grace is a, is a term that, that refers to the fact that non-believers can abide by some of God's laws and benefit from them. Okay? Common grace is a term that says that non-believers can abide by some of God's laws and benefit from them. For example, two non-believers uh, can have a great marriage. You know, two non-believers can love each other, be faithful to each other, uh, be forgiving of each other in conflict, and it can produce a great marriage. And common grace is really what allows the world to not fall into anarchy. You know, common grace allows justice to work. You do not have to have Christians in the government to keep order. Okay? But, understanding the things that we're talking about this morning also opens the door for every non-Christian in the world to disagree with us in every way. Okay? If we have a different understanding of this world, if we have a different understanding of how we handle our money, that it's not to rule us, that we're not to be stupid with it, um, that we're supposed to be giving out of an overflow of the heart, not just 10%, that we're supposed to deal with uh, sex in a different way that we're supposed to deal with our leisure in a way that is glorifying to God. For example, some might say, hey, what did you do this weekend? Well, I went to church. Like, really? On your day off? Like, you went and sat and listened to people lecture to you on one of your two days? Like, you did that? You know, what did you do on Thursday night? Well, I went to a community group. We went to a Bible study. Really? It doesn't sound like a fun time to me. 
that doesn't sound like a valuable use of my time. But you sat in a circle and like read a thousands of year old book. It doesn't make sense. The way that you deal with your career, the way that you deal with conflict resolution. I mean, what else is there in life besides money, sex, job, leisure? That's everything. And if you deal with it differently because of this type of wisdom, then the door is open for the whole world to disagree with you on it because it sees it differently. And what Paul is telling the, first, the Corinthians in the book of 1 Corinthians is that to live in the world that is all saying one thing that is contrary to what you believe and for you to only be hearing part-time this, then you're, you're putting cracks in your foundation. Now, I'm not saying that every one of you goes to a workplace and people are, are, are verbally speaking only the truths of the world into your ears. But I tell you what, and I've used this example before, but I work in a church with a bunch of Christians and I'm still being influenced by the world. Uh, and one big way is called Mount Pleasant. I'm influenced by Mount Pleasant wrongly. You know? I begin to feel entitled about things. I want a little nicer car. I want a little nicer house. I want to be a little bit more fit. I want to be blah, 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 blah. I want Starbucks every day. Like Those are little stupid things, but those things lead to bigger things. Because if I begin to feel entitled about the little things and it's unaddressed with the wisdom of the world, I will fall into folly. I mean, what? I mean, that's the same train of thinking that lead people into, you know, sexual sin. You know, I'm entitled, right? That's the same kind of folly that leads people into uh, cheating on your taxes. You know, who are you? I don't agree with this. You shouldn't be taking that much, so I'm going to change things over here. You know? It's the same kind of folly. And if the world is saying one thing, and you are not allowing it to be combated by your own time in the Word and your time in Christian community, it's going to start making cracks in your foundation. And the Apostle Paul here is speaking to a group of people who need to hear this. Chapter 3. Flip over. Chapter 3, verse 1. He says, But I, brothers, again, he keeps addressing them as Christians, saying we have the common ground of, of the gospel. But I, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual. He's saying I couldn't address you as people who were even understanding wisdom. I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh or of folly. As infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you weren't ready for it. And even now, you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. And if we, are, if we think that we are not those people, then we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Paul is addressing these issues in Corinth because they're real Everyday struggles of life. Welcome to life before glory. That we are going to continually struggle with combating the wisdom of this world. I mean, that's what pride is. You know? That's what materialism is. That's what lust is. Thus, chapter 15, verse 2. Chapter 15, sorry, verse 1. The apostle simply says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel or of this wisdom that you must grow in your understanding and grow in your application. I must remind you. You need to be reminded. I need to be reminded daily. Daily. Because this wisdom is not something that we just take a test and we pass and then we have it for the rest of our lives. We're fallen. We're sinners. We stumble. And we're around other people like that. But we need this wisdom and we need to be around it and we need to be around people who crave it. 
Now, I've, this morning, just kind of bookend 1 Corinthians. We've looked at the beginning, and we've looked at the end. Next week, what I want to do is I want to, I kind of want to go overboard and looking at all the applications of this. I mean, it is everything from conflict resolution to uh, contentment where you're at in life to um, learning from the examples of others to um, how you manage your money, how you manage sex, how you manage goals in your life, um, how you manage other people that you disagree with, how you manage your involvement in the church, how you're supposed to handle the Lord's Supper. I mean, it goes on and on and on with different applications of wisdom in the life of the believer. And if you have this understanding of wisdom and have the understanding that we all need it and need to be reminded of it all the time, and then you add to it, look at these amazing examples of just everyday life, then you have a, you have a great feast here. So I hope that you desire uh, to be Dr. Grabiel kind of person, you know, um, that other people can go to and you can speak godly wisdom. And then when you face the questions in life and they say, I, I don't know what to, uh, what's, what's the right situation here, that you can go and apply this type of wisdom. Let's pray. Father, I... I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that through the gospel, you have given us, Father, you have opened our eyes to something that the world can't see. Father, because of sin, we sometimes still struggle with closing our eyes. But Father, in humility, may we continue to go to your word. May we continue to go to the body of Christ and grow in our understanding and grow in the application of wisdom. Father, I pray for this group right now, these young adults that are here. Father, I I pray for them. I lift them up to you. I know that everybody in this room has uh, a question in their life because such is the nature of life. Father, maybe it's insecurity. Um, Maybe it's a confusion. Maybe it's a hurt. Father, I ask that you would help them to look at wisdom, see what your word says first, seek to understand and apply the sweet gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.